Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza. As you know, Minneapolis is burning, and we have one of the greatest uh, journalists in the Twin Cities as our guest tonight, Andy Maddox. Uh, Andy Mannix covers federal courts and law enforcement for the Minneapolis Star Tribune. He's been doing that since 2016. He covers Minneapolis City Hall, statewide criminal justice cases, uh, and issues at the Department of Corrections. He also teaches at the University of Minnesota School of Journalism, uh, where he is an alumni. He also got his master's degree at the uh, University of California, Berkeley. And his uh, work has included, over the years, solitary confinement issues in Minnesota prisons, the use of sedatives in police encounters, and several high Profile police shootings. He's also worked for Men Post, the Seattle Times, and City Pages. He's been on top of uh, this issue uh, concerning the death, uh, possible murder of George Floyd. And uh, we're so happy in the midst of a very busy week for Mr. Mannix that he's with us today. Thanks, Andy, for taking time. How are you today? I know you've been swamped. Yeah, um, happy to be here. And um, I'm good. It's yeah. It's been it's been a busy week. It was a busy night, late night last night, and an early morning. But um, you know, we're we're all hanging in there. Now, uh, it's it would be it wouldn't be a cliche to say you've been under the gun here in the last few days because you actually got hit by a rubber bullet uh, shot by a policeman a few days ago at one of the protests. Correct? Yeah, it was on Tuesday, which was the which was you know. We, we all kind of woke up to the news and the video of um, George Floyd, the, you know, moments before his death. Um, and so I was out sort of at that first protest, uh, started in front of Cup Foods where, where the video was taken, you know, where this incident occurred, and then marched over to the third precinct. And, um, you know, we, we just got like a taste of, of kind of what was to come. But uh, it was, you know, folks... Um, breaking out windows at the precinct, um, vandalizing squad cars, and then the, the police coming back pretty pretty aggressively, um, just flooding the area with tear gas, uh, those flashbangs, you know, that aren't, aren't really, they, they're just meant to disorient you, but it kind of makes you feel like you're in, like, Vietnam or something mm-hmm. you know, when you're, when, when the smoke is, is going around and you're hearing those just going off all around you. And then I had actually, I thought it was fairly, um, you know, safe distance away. I was across the street in the Arby's parking lot there um, with some other folks who had kind of fled just because that tear gas pushed us all out. And just out of, you know, out of nowhere, I was trying to actually <clears throat> get out a tweet to show people that this thing had really turned and, and police were, were, were coming pretty hard with the riot gear. And this um, projectile just nails me right in the upper thigh. Wow. Um you know, I'm looking down. I'm not. I'm certainly not doing anything um, I, that I would perceive um, um, that would make me a target. And it was. Um, you know, I, I, I tweeted a, a picture of it. Um, it's. We, we were trying to figure out what it is. It, it wasn't. You know, they shoot those marking rounds that hit you with like that fluorescent uh, chalk, so police know later to arrest you. Mm-hmm. And those things get hurt. But this was harder than that. This wasn't a marking round. This was like a hard plastic with sort of like a, I guess kind of a squishy end. So, so there's some dispute. Is it considered a rubber bullet? Is it, some people said it's called like a sponge grenade. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, you know, when it's coming at your, uh, 
your body at 200 miles an hour yeah. um, and you're not expecting it uh, um, it's you know it it, it was it was quite painful and and um, you know I'm certainly uh, smarting from it still uh, well imagine if that hit you in the eye <laughs> you know yeah I mean you know they call these less lethal they can't call them non-lethal because I mean you you know you get hit in the the wrong place with one of those things and and certainly it could really do some permanent damage um you know and there were folks out there who i saw i don't know what they were hit with or what happened but they're bleeding from the head or they're you know like really really injured um i mean there's one point where we're just like again across the street um at this point we were i had kind of moved on the other side of the street um where that target is that they ended up getting um you know broken into the next night and um again pretty far away um, and these things are just flying, you know, I hear them whizzing by my ear, they're bouncing off street lights and Man. signs. So, so it really seemed to me that they, there wasn't a lot going into the aiming, um, of these things and they were just sort of firing them, um, at, and, and hitting certainly, um, you know, peaceful protesters, um, you know, even if, if that's not what they were trying to do, they, they were really getting caught in the middle of it. You know, how, no doubt about that. How many people, Andy, in that first uh, the incident you're talking about, how many uh, uh, people were there uh, protesting or, or witnessing it? Um, so, so the number that, so again, it started at Cup Foods, and then, you know, that's 38th in Chicago, and if you're familiar with the geography of that area, mm-hmm. they're precinct, uh Minnehaha and Lake is several miles. I, I don't really know um, exactly, you know, three or four miles, and, and it started to rain. So I think we started with the number that the police have been using is 8,000 people, mm-hmm. um, which in a pandemic especially is like, you know, this is, I mean, I've been to, you know, um, many of these other police protests over, over you know, incidents of um, use of force like this and, and officer-involved uh, shootings and stuff like that. And, and I can't say that I've seen a bigger one than this. Um, and, you know, again, especially in a pandemic, it, it was it was really, um, you, you know, you could really tell that people were really affected by this video. Um, so by the time we got to the precinct, I'd say it started raining, and I'd say we lost, I don't know, a few thousand of those maybe, you know, mm-hmm. had kind of come for the beginning. And, and petered off, um, but there were still, you know, thousands of people kind of scattered in different groups, especially when the um, the tear gas started coming out, you know, that's that's going to send people just sort of scattering wherever they can to get away from it. So it wasn't as much of like that, you know, people just clustered together. Uh, so a little bit harder to gauge, but, you know, a few, a few thousand, uh, I, I'd say. Well, and it's so, I mean, to add insult to injury, here we are. In the middle of a pandemic, people are starting out uh, as peaceful protesters and then get overwhelmed with tear gas. I mean, it's just like, uh, oh, man, it just sounds like such a dangerous situation. Yeah, and, and so I and other reporters out there who I happened to, um, you know, bump into were a little surprised um, just because, you know, one would think that this is the last thing they want to see on, like, the national news um, after, you know, after this video is, is going viral of, of this incident with George Floyd, you know, they don't want to see police officers shooting protesters with um, projectiles. So, so we were trying to find out why the next day that that was the tactic. 
And what Chief Madeira Arredondo said is they had originally planned on kind of letting people, you know, not 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 coming at them like that, but um, but uh, apparently when they got into the, you know, they broke into the third precinct building or they're breaking out windows and started vandalizing squad cars, which were parked in kind of this fenced off area. Um, he was saying there's there's guns and live ammo there, right. and so it sounds like the concern was, you know, you get a lot of people who are pretty pissed off and suddenly they have like, you know, a shotgun from the back of the squad car, um, you know, could more people get hurt? So that, so that was their explanation of, of why they came out like, like that. I saw a really troubling, uh, piece of video last night. It looked like a peaceful protest in downtown Minneapolis. A lot of people, of course, on the streets, and squad cars were going through right by 5th and Hennepin where there's that gorgeous mural of Bob Dylan, uh, ironically, behind this. And I don't know if you saw that, Andy. And then a, a squad car goes by Hennepin uh, uh, cop, and uh, Minneapolis cop, and shoots tear gas out the window randomly at uh, people on the street. Did you see that? I did see that. And I think it was Riot Mace, which is almost like that... It's like a little mini fire extinguisher that just shoots, you know, it's meant for a crowd. So it's mm-hmm. not like what you think of as like a personal, like, you know, mace device. Um, and that stuff, man, I'll tell you, that stuff, I, I got hit once with one of, you know, right in the line of fire, one of those um, back at the Republican National Convention in 2008, if you recall how crazy that was. Oh, I do. And I, you know, right in the face, and and that is the most painful thing I think I've ever experienced, more so than this projectile. Um, and so it's like, you know, it, it was kind of unbelievable to, I think, for a lot of people to see that because, I mean, I, you know, there's a lot of people who are very suspicious of, of the police uh, uh, party line right now, but, you know, we, we've got the, the police spokesman out there saying less than 24 hours earlier our officers are so restrained. We're just out there reacting um, to the public safety concerns. You know, we're trying to let people do their thing and uh, not, you know, but but when it comes to, like, you know, people are in harm's way, that's the only time we're reacting. And then you see something like that, and like you say, you've got five or six squad cars going. One guy just seems to do this drive-by, like, indiscriminately firing this, this, um, this mace at a crowd of people, and again, that stuff is going to spread, you know, I don't know what, like, the the ranges on that, but I mean, it's it's not like it just hit, you know, one person, or you can, you can even, it's not even that you could even consider targeting a person with that. This stuff is designed to, to um, subdue, like, an entire crowd and, and have them out for, for a while, you know, you're not coming back from that right away. So I think it's like, when you see stuff like that, you're just like, you know, this sounds a really, really bad message. Um, at, especially at this moment. Yeah, especially when the Minneapolis police force could use all the good PR they can get. We've got Andy okay. Mannix on the uh, Wall of Power Radio Hour for the whole show tonight. Uh, this is your host, Paul Metza. Uh, I'm really glad Andy took the time out of his busy week to talk with us. And uh, we'll be back after these messages. Welcome back to the Wall and Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza. My guest for the whole show tonight, so happy to have him, Andy Mannix, who is uh, one of the greatest uh, journalists, uh, investigative reporters 
in the Twin Cities. He's been working with the Minneapolis Star Tribune uh, since 2016 uh, and knows quite a bit about what's been going on and has actually been on the ground covering this. Andy, uh, we're taping this show on Friday. The show airs on Saturday. I don't even know what date it is, May 28th. Uh, 29th today, and uh, as I was coming into the uh, uh, AM950 studio, I saw that they had taken uh, Derek Chauvin, the um, the Minneapolis cop that had his uh, knee on George Floyd's neck, they just took him into custody today. You were at the FBI uh, briefing yesterday, and you heard from uh, Hennepin County prosecutor Mike Freeman. So give us a little background and, and bring us up to just a, an hour ago with this news. Uh, yeah, you know, it was based on what Mike Freeman, the Hennepin County attorney, said yesterday, what the FBI said and, and U.S. attorney said yesterday, I'm pretty surprised to see Chauvin taken into custody. Um, you know, they, they've got to charge him with something and you know, I don't know, because it's a third or it's a Friday. Um, you know, maybe they have till Monday. I think there's some deal at the weekend, so usually it's like 48 hours. You know, you have to, you, you can't hold someone longer than that. Right. So that's all, that's all to say. You wouldn't be arresting him unless you're planning to charge him pretty quickly. And what uh, Mike Freeman said yesterday was this is going to take a while. Um, he invoked the prosecution of the officers. Uh, you know, charged with, with the death of Freddie Gray in Baltimore. Uh, if you recall, that was um, the, the prosecutor came out right away and said, we're charging these guys. And then every every officer, uh, I believe every single officer, was uh, found not guilty. And so what Mike said is, you know, that's, that's what we risk if we go too fast. Mike, as, as you know, people in Minneapolis know, has experience with this, too, because he just, they, there's, his office convicted uh, Mohammed Noor of, of murdering a citizen on duty uh, last year. This was, of course, the Justine Damon case, which mm-hmm. actually occurred in, God, I think it was, was it 2018 or 2017? Uh, but the, the trial was last year. Um, you know, super rare for a police officer to be convicted with murder on duty. In fact, it's only happened a couple of times in, in American history. Um, so, you know, he kind of knows probably more than most how long this is going to take. So, you know, when he says this is how long this, it's going to take, um, you know, we assume that that's going to be the case. Certainly it took a lot longer with when they charged Mohammed Noor in, in that other case. Um, a, a lot of people... A lot of reporters, you know, were, were there asking if, if, you know, we've all seen this video. We're all horrified by it. Mike Freeman, uh, U.S. Attorney, uh, Erica McDonald, everyone is up there saying this is horrifying. This shouldn't have happened. This shouldn't have happened. So we're like, you know, if, if this was two citizens, if it wasn't a police officer and you had this video, um, are you trying to tell me that this guy wouldn't be in custody? Exactly. Um, and, and in fact, you look at there was a at uh, at the pawn shop uh, Cadillac Pawn, I think it's called, two nights ago. Um, the owner or manager, or whoever you know, was arrested for shooting and killing somebody uh, who was you know allegedly looting his store. And it's like that guy's in custody, you know. Exactly. Um, so so I think that it was hard as a um, you know it's it's sort of hard to understand what exactly the 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 calculus that they're doing behind the scenes and and to that question mike said 
um, you know, it would be un- unethical for me to talk about the evidence at this point. Um, you know, uh, I guess a um, educated sort of read of, of that based on seeing these past ones is he is, you know, it, it is different with the police officer in terms of like when he, you know, when they're on duty, the the bar that they have to prove for for like a manslaughter or a murder charge isn't the same as if it was just a citizen. There is a, um, you know, what would a police officer do um, in a, you know, what, what would their reasonable reaction be mm-hmm. to this rather than just a citizen? That was how, for example, Euronimo Yanez, um, the officer who shot and killed Philando Castillo, was found not guilty. Um, basically, you know, an expert witness saying, as a police officer, it is reasonable that, you know, that he would have felt the threat like this. So, so you know, my guess is he's, he's really trying to make sure that before they do this thing, they have a good case. Um, but again, it's just hard to you know, on like a visceral level, it's sort of hard to, to watch that video um, and, and understand why this person is still on the street. Well, and I've always had a lot of respect for Mike Freeman. He's always seemed to me a, to be a pretty straight shooter uh, and a pretty fair guy. Uh, but it's just uh, these days, like you said, I mean, there's been right now three different camera angles uh, on this incident. And uh, it just... Like you said, viscerally, it's just it's just wrong, and it's uh, it's disgusting, and it's horrific. And I know that neighborhood well. I've uh, you know I grew up in South Minneapolis. I know that I know all those neighborhoods in South Minneapolis. And I mm-hmm. recently celebrated my 40th anniversary at the Parkway just up the street, and mm-hmm. and uh, uh, and it's a great great neighborhood. Um, maybe we'll get into this in a little bit, but I was just listening to MSNBC on the way here. And they said that George was the, uh, thought about, that he was passing a a counterfeit $20 check. But when they were talking about the car, he was was sitting in a black Mercedes. And it just seems to me like, how would a guy in a black Mercedes, why would he be passing a counterfeit bill, you know? Um, I mean, I'm sure there's counterfeit bills out there that you might get in a transaction and use somewhere else, but... That one bothers me, too. We've got Andy Mannix on the show on the Wall of Power Radio Hour all night tonight. Two more sets with Mr. Mannix. Uh, Stick around. And uh, I'm really enjoying that he's taking time to speak with us tonight. Not all poor men are honest, not all rich men are thieves But the rich man owns the orchard, you know the poor man rakes the leaves And as the wheel goes around, said all I want to ask is If the rich man owns the land, why must the poor man pay the taxes? Why does justice go so slow? Slow justice slowly goes Poor means stop and rich means go Slow justice slowly goes They say a woman's work is never done And do you wonder why? They can feed half as much for double time on the by and by Well I ain't no big shot doctor, ain't no big shot doctor's kid But I can tell you that my mother never lived in Adam's rib Why does justice go so slow? Slow justice slowly goes Little girl means stop, little boy means go 
Welcome back to the Wall and Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metz. I'm my guest for the whole show tonight. I'm so uh, happy that he could take time out of his busy schedule to talk with us. Andy Mannix, uh, he's been an investigative reporter for the Minneapolis Star Tribune since 2016. Andy, a little uh, personal history that I'd like to know about. How did you uh, get interested in studying um uh, you know, you went to the University of Minnesota, where you teach out the School of Journalism. You got your master's at the University of California, Berkeley. What uh, made you interested in uh, in criminal law and covering these sorts of things as a journalist? Um, you know, good question. I, I think I, like a lot of um, journalists I know, sort of stumbled into journalism because we wanted to be writers and had the... Um, the notion that we could get paid to do it if we were journalists. Um, I sort of entered college when things were, the industry was good and left kind of at the peak of, you know, when it started to get really bad and, and papers like the Star Screen were in bankruptcy. Um, but but I, I applied first as a music critic at the Minnesota Daily Newspaper, the U of M's paper, sure. and, and they wouldn't hire me. Um, and then they hired me on the Metro side as a news reporter um, and I sort of really liked it. And, and one of the first stories I did was uh, someone, uh, like a friend of a friend, you know, knew I worked at the paper and told me there was this guy that her her um, her her friend, like who was like a freshman, had been dating, and they were all arrested in this this sort of big big way um, with guns and everything. And, and and sort of came to find out that this guy was actually like. He was like 40 years old, and he was wearing a letterman's jacket and posing as a student, and he was just robbing everybody. He was wow. stealing from all these students um, and, um, and sort of had been doing. And, I, and anyway, so yeah, I, I, so I thought that sounded like a pretty good story, and, and I hadn't really done police reporting in, in the past, but the paper you know, said I could do it and you know, pursued it and um, kind of found out he had been going from college to college in Chicago and in like Florida and New York and just doing this and um and he was living in a frat and and all this stuff <laughs> Andy and, this um, is your this is your this is your screenplay dude I know <laughs> and I interviewed him in jail um I ended up doing this he, he talked to me and he told me oh I'm you know I'm, I'm 20 and all this stuff right oh you know yeah and it was um and I ended up doing, I was an intern at City Pages, and they said, you know, would you do a story, a follow-up for us? So, so I did that, too. Um, but it was, um, and that's how I ended up working at City Pages, because I think cause they liked that story so much. But it was sort of like, you know, you get to talk to the police, you get to talk to the criminal, you get to kind of look at these court documents, and you're not on anybody's side, but you can't, you know, you're kind of the only one not on anybody's side. Mm-hmm. You're sort of there just seeing it all and there's all this paperwork you know police reports and stuff to kind of so anyway i just sort of really like that um 
you know that that kind of reporting and and um you know i was a a um big sort of fan of your old pal david carr oh yeah uh, when i and when i got into the you know alt weekly world he was you know sort of the one that we all really looked up to as as you know what what we wanted to be the gold um, standard so I'd go back and read, you know, we had City Pages, you know, the Twin Cities Reader had closed by this time, and we had inherited all of their their uh, clips were just in this room, and I'd go back there and read, um, you know, all these David Carr stories, you know, doing this sort of gangland, uh, on the street kind of reporting, um, and, and that was, you know, really sort of, for me, um, in those, those formative years, um, that was really important in terms of, like, kind of helping me helping me uh navigate you know doing stories that aren't just you're you're taking you know the official account you know and getting Mm -hmm. out there and really seeing it for yourself and and talking to people who aren't you know official sources i guess you know we would call them you know you're talking to the people who are there who are involved um and and so that's always so anyway that that sort of put me on the the path i think to to do what i'm doing now and and to you know, be the first one to volunteer when they say we got kind of a hairy protest that going on out there. Um, you know, who wants to go? Um, you know, I, yeah. I really do like and think it's really, really important for us journalists to be there um, and be as close as possible. Did you ever have a chance to meet David Carr? I did. Um, I met him when I interviewed him once. When he was coming out, or there a documentary about him was coming out, mm-hmm. and they were premiering in Page One, I believe. Anthony Maine. Yep, Page One. So I sat down with him and interviewed him, um, and that was really cool. Um, I talked to him a couple more times, including um, for we did this kind of oral history of the CC Club um, story that was kind of all about how. You know, this bar, the CC Club, had kind of been the... I think it was being sold at the time, and we didn't know if it was going to stay open, so it was sort of like eulogizing a bar that would still... that still exists, but, mm-hmm. um, but you know, the replacements and, um, you know, the music scene there and the journalist scene and, like, you know, talking to Tom Arnold and all these guys, we just thought there was a... A cool Minneapolis history story. Well, I was actually sort of, I was honored to be uh, interviewed for that yeah, story as well. Too. And uh, uh, back in the battle days, David Carr and Tom Arnold, because Tom lived right across the street with four other mm-hmm. comedians, and uh, we opened up that bar at eight a.m. more than once. <laughs> yeah, I think that was the. It was like uh, two a.m. back over to Tom's house across the street. Um, and then back at eight a.m. That was exactly uh, that was the pinball yeah. maneuver. I, I'm going to put yeah. in. I'm going to put in a good word for the CC Club. My friend Cream McCauley is uh, one of the cooks there. They're opening up, if not this Sunday, the Sunday after, uh, on the patio, on both sides of the building, the Lindale mm-hmm. side and the Twenty Six side. I go there about once a month for a great Sunday brunch. So you've got to make. Uh, Reservations and uh, uh, call ahead a $5 reservation fee. But uh, any of you that love the CC Club and that great food and that vibe, uh, keep your eyes on it. Because the small businesses, 
need, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a musician um, and I know what the clubs are going through. And then you see uh, Andy Mannix, uh, all the businesses that uh, were looted or damaged or burnt down last night. Um, mm-hmm. And you go, there's such uh, tangential, tangential damage in these situations. How much do you think this is outside provocateurs coming in just to cause trouble for whatever reasons and how many is just uh, legitimate protesters that are pissed off? That's a really good question Um, and one that I've been asked and thought about. Um, You know, one thing that that comes to mind is um, every time stuff like this happens, people say it's, it's outside protesters or it's paid protesters um, you know, going back to the Republican National Convention 2008, which I was talking about, where where I was, um, my my you know, sort of um, my my first experience with uh, getting maced and you know clubbed to the ground by the cops during during one of these big protests. Right. You know that that was a, that was actually a lot of outside protesters did come in and were, and were prosecuted, um, but we always hear that, and it's hard to know. Um, so, it, so I guess, like I would say, let's let's be careful with that one right now because I think that it is true that a lot of people who live in Minneapolis were out there and were enraged. Um, and to the extent that there's folks coming from, you know, I've heard Chicago or wherever. Um, I, I just don't know yet, and yeah. I just feel like we should be careful to to make, you know, to draw conclusions about that. Yeah, no, I would totally agree with it. Um, but it's just, uh, yeah, it's just, boy, I had, saw the list this morning in the Min Post, and it was dozens and dozens of businesses that had been broken yeah. into or burnt or it's, windows smashed. It's totally surreal. I mean, it's surreal for people who live in this city like you and I do and who have spent a lot of time you know, what, you know, at that Target or at, you know, with the Hexagon Bar. Yeah, right, that was sad. Um, you know, or who I've, you know, reported on that police precinct many times and to see, um, you know, to see the, the footage last night of people inside there, the building's on fire, the sprinklers are flooded, the windows are broken out. It's just sort of like a surreal way to see your city what uh why do you think they stood down there and and left and just gave it up to the protesters which became chaotic and filled with mayhem man that is the question today and i don't know if you were watching um there's press conference with governor walls and some national guard folks and the national guard basically said we were there we were activating we were ready and we were waiting for a mission and the mayor jacob fry just didn't give us one so we had no orders, so we couldn't do anything wow um you know and in terms of what goes into that i mean and you know and they i, I think everyone watching that video you know they, they didn't feel like there was a lot of love for for the mayor and those things, yeah you know um so so yeah, I don't know if it was like you know they they don't want to see those images again of of the tear gas and whatever. But you know that these images now are are circulating, and I think if you live in Minneapolis, especially in that area, um, 
I, th- I think a lot of people are scared this morning, you know, they're yeah. sort of seeing this, um, this lawlessness and seeing these businesses and, you know, where they get their groceries, these small markets or the Arby's, they, you know, their neighborhood Arby's is yeah, right. it's just gone. And it's like, you know, are, it's, it's, I think it's, it's, it's scary, um, for a lot of people. And, and I don't know that like I've ever heard of a police precinct, um, building in a major American city being broken into and burnt down. I mean, at one point last night, the city of Minneapolis was saying, well, there's reason to believe that there was gas lines cut and explosives put in there and everyone should move back because we think it's going to blow up. Oh, man. Um, you know what I mean? That, yeah. you know, this is a, it's, it's sort of a, I don't know. Like, all I can say is it's, it's surreal. It's, it's, it's shocking. Um, and there's, you know, that's not to say that people aren't protesting for good reason, re- you know, good reason, reasons they really believe in. But, but, you know, I think just if you're your average, I think a lot of many, many politicians are, are, are watching that footage and sort of seeing what happened and, um, and probably not feeling great about it yeah. or super safe about it or, or, you know, their concern for those business owners and stuff. So. We've got Andy Mannix on for one more set on the Wall of Power Radio Hour, uh, one of the great uh, investigative journalists for the Minneapolis Star Tribune in town. Uh, so stick around. We're going to hear a little music, and we'll be back. One more set in just a bit. <laughs> Welcome back to the last set of the Wall and Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza. My guest for the whole show, Mr. Andy Mannix, a great investigative reporter for the Minneapolis Star Tribune, who's nice enough to uh, take time out of a very busy week to chat with us here on the radio show uh, tonight and for AM 950 listeners. And uh, between segments here, he told me that uh, he's turned down all kinds of national interview opportunities, but uh, was kind enough to speak with me. So, Andy, uh, I really appreciate that. I was talking to a friend of mine, a lovely gal who lives in Calgary, uh, and who I've just recently met and got to know, and uh, I was telling her about what was going on in in Minneapolis. And uh, she she said, you know, where, where she's from, it doesn't have this real racial tension like she's seeing on the news happening here. And I told her, I said, to her, I said, neither has Minneapolis. I said, this has been one of the most integrated cities for the last 40 or 50 years. I mean, wouldn't you agree that we've had a pretty, we've got a pretty safe and cool town here in terms of uh, the races mixing, getting along and working together and having fun? Yeah, I mean, I think that when you look at, yeah, that's a tough question, because I think that... um you know, when you 
Like, I think Minnesota does struggle with race issues, especially as a state as a whole. You know, when you look at, like I covered, you know, Department of Corrections, and when you look at who's going to prison versus the the uh, racial makeup of the state, you know, um, Native Americans and African Americans are, are, are the ones who are impacted by our criminal justice system in a really disproportionate way. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, I think like, you know, Paul, you and I both live in, in northeast Minneapolis where there's a lot of different kinds of people and, and a lot of, um, you know, signs that, um, like yard signs that say, um, you know, all are welcome. And, yeah, right. um, you know, so I think from my, like, my neighborhood perspective and, and the places, especially in, like, Minneapolis proper that I go to, um, you know, they, they are integrated and they are... Um, you know, very sort of accepting and and whatnot, but I but I do think there's like a side from from other folks, um, you know, who who think that Minneapolis has a history and 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 just Minnesota in general um, with racial division. You know, for example, when you look at you know um, like the history of the city, there used to be these racial covenants in in um, housing where it said people of color can't live in, in certain mm-hmm. neighborhoods yeah, um, or this house. And, you know, the, we're still um, recovering from that, I think. You know, when you look at, like, density in North Minneapolis, for example, of, like, affordable housing projects and stuff like that, like, for years they were just putting all those in, in North Minneapolis um, and those areas of the city were, you know, not getting the the attention um economically and 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 otherwise um to to other parts of the city so i think a lot of people you know wonder if there if minneapolis does have a race problem or a history of a race problem and this is where it's sort of coming um coming to a head you know things are really boiling over but it's maybe you know tied to this this much longer and, and I wouldn't doubt that at all. I guess Andy Mannix, I'm seeing it through the lens of a musician. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, uh, it's you know, the bands in this town that I've loved, uh, uh, you know, from from Prince's band uh, to the new solo song. I mean, we're all, it's mixed, it's cool, everybody learns from each other, gets along, hangs out. Uh, but, yeah, there is, I mean, I think there's, Systemic rate racism all around the country, and I, and I wouldn't uh, uh, I wouldn't say Minneapolis is excluded from that. And you look, I was, so I was talking to my friend last night, and I said, uh, I said, you know, the last time the city really blew up on fire was the summer '67. You know, down Broadway Avenue on the north mm-hmm. side, which is not too far from where you and I live, um, mm-hmm. where it totally went on fire. So, but to see this sort of visceral response to a very uh, tragic situation uh you know it's really for those of us that have been felt pretty safe and sound in minneapolis it's you know maybe it's the wake-up call we need i'm not sure what do you think yeah i think that's yeah i think there's something to that um and i think you know a, a lot of people are in a bubble you know where they they kind of live in a neighborhood and, and are sort of surrounded by like-minded people and and um you know they, they don't see some of the hardship that that does go on in mm-hmm. other areas of the city i mean i think i am guilty of that i think a lot of us are um you know the past few years with with donald trump uh minneapolis being a liberal you know politically liberal city and having politically liberal politicians 
um, you know, we think that we're different than um, these places where you're seeing, like, um, you know, you're you're seeing, like, in Charlotte, right. uh, for example, where you're seeing these sort of, like, you know, white nationalists um, amassing um, and feeling empowered. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think that there is really something that we can all take from this that that um you know we we don't necessarily all have the same shared experience uh even if sometimes we think we do and you know people are people are 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 angry and um you know i think that there's always a lot of value in these moments and and taking a step back and and listening to, to why they're angry even if you think you already know or if you think you know you're you're on their side or whatever, mm-hmm. um, you know, sometimes, sometimes there's a little bit more to that. So I, so I think that that's something we should, you know, we should all be doing is, is, you know, we, re, we have our, our, our first kind of reaction, which for many of us has been shock. Um, but, but for, for sure, I think that it's important that we kind of do take a step back and, and, and can, you know, think about, these these larger issues in the next few days. Andy Mannix, that is a beautiful way to end this interview. I really <laughs> appreciate uh, your time. I follow you in the paper. I follow you on Twitter. Uh, you're doing uh, God's work out there. Uh, be safe. Be strong. Uh, stay positive. And uh, uh, maybe we can check in after a few weeks and see how this whole the investigations and and uh, everything is going with the with the cops involved in the uh, tragic. Uh, death of George Floyd. So thanks again, Andy. Have a wonderful yeah, day, you. man. I uh, look to see okay, you. you too. I'll, I'll look to see you walking your dog around the neighborhood. All right. We'll see you soon. Thanks, buddy. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. The show is produced by Paul Metza, engineered by Patrick Lilia. We'd like to thank our guest, Minneapolis Star Tribune investigative journalist Andy Mannix. Great insight to this crazy, crazy week in Minneapolis. Everybody out there, stay uh, strong, stay positive, but stay safe uh, and make sure to check in on your neighbors. You can follow what I'm up to at paulmetza.com. I've also got a Venmo tip jar if you would like to support the work I'm doing on both my radio and TV shows along with my good work out in the community as a musician. And like, remember, like my father, Elder Metzer, used to tell me, remember to be kind and make someone happy. Oh, we've got